Hi, I'm Jen. And I'm Trevor. And together, we're We're Occasionally Interesting, interesting. the podcast where a couple travels the world interviewing the most interesting people they meet along the way. Sometimes it will be sweet. Often entertaining. Rarely conservative. Frequently informative. Occasionally occasionally interesting. interesting. Well, first of all, sorry we haven't posted the last two weeks. We were supposed to get married this past weekend in America. Uh, We were not able to do that due to COVID, but our friends threw us. A lovely little ceremony. That's Ruan of episode, I don't know, 23 maybe? I should check. And of the Rwandu podcast. He was our little minister. And uh, he baked his very first cake of his entire life for us. It was very good. It was very good. Um, also, yeah, we've just been uh, working like crazy. But we are back and we'll try not to abandon you. Today is a great episode. Um, we recorded it all the way back in January, and it's just coming out now because I was trying really hard to get the audio better. I sent it to a professional audio editor, and it still isn't great, but you should <laughs> you should still listen to this episode and just, you know, really take in the ambiance. We recorded this at a cafe, and uh, you can tell. So it'll just be like, you know, you're, you're sitting at the table next to us peeking in on this super interesting conversation. So, yeah, please bear with us and uh, have, have a good time sipping your coffee with Jamie and Lewis and Jen and Trevor. Um, we met these guys at the Nomad Summit. They're really cool. They're really fun. Um, I love this conversation and I love their dynamic. They're just, they're so funny together. Uh, they have a fantastic company, Jungle Straws and uh, Jungle Culture. And they are, you know, really... Uh, making a difference in the world, doing sustainable products and connecting directly with farmers and just uh, living the dream and being awesome. We had a great time talking with them. We were supposed to be meeting up with them this summer when we were in Europe, but obviously uh, everybody's plans in the entire world are very different than what they were in January. So... I hope you enjoy this episode with Jamie and Lewis of Jungle Strolls and be sure to check them out uh, at Jungle Strolls. What is it? JungleStrolls.com. <laughs> I'll put it in the episode notes, whatever the URL is. All right. Nice to talk to you guys. Occasionally interesting. Occasionally interesting. They are occasionally interesting. How did you two meet? We met in San Miguel in Mexico. Well, I was actually sitting down, wasn't I? I was doing operating my first business at the time, and then I saw Jamie. This is what happened, right? This is the story. This is <laughs> I, actually, I left my job in banking in London to become a digital nomad, and I had the impression that all digital nomads were travel bloggers. So I was out in Mexico tasting tacos, right in the top five tacos in San Miguel list. And I saw this like work hard guy sat in the corner of the hostel. And I'd gone through this stage and I was looking at him thinking, this is this guy that's writing their blogs, which is probably not going to work for him. He was just like completely anti-social, wasn't talking to anybody. But this hostel, it was one of the nicest places I've ever stayed. It had like this beautiful garden. And at the back of the garden, you had these like tables and chairs where you could work in the day. They had free Mexican breakfast every day, including the price. And every day they'd change it. So it was like, one day it was like burritos, huevos rancheros, all kinds of like prepared especially for you. And it was just so comfy. 
and I just didn't want to leave. So I met him there and then... Um, but my routine was already in place. So I was there for, what, maybe two weeks before Jamie arrived and I was already having these amazing breakfasts. I was starting this, the first business that I had. Free coffee as well. Free coffee. Wow. I was waking up. My routine was just bang on. It was, it was amazing. It was kind of weird. Like, Chris had this... He's super, like, anal. He had this routine and he would wake up at, like, six. He would do a bit of yoga, work for a few hours, eat breakfast, and then he would walk the exact same route to the market every day he would get the exact same food and then get a little fruit cup every day and his routine was to the point to the point where he would walk into the same shop and say hello to the same lady every day like this same same woman and i could get to buy a bien get to buy a bien and uh every 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 single day i could feel him thinking like is this is this guy is this for real is this what he does it was just so weird so like you started following i I ended up like first i was like this is stupid this routine like why are you so routined and then eventually i was involved in the routine and i was like but the funny thing is he said at the start Jamie, how long are you staying in Mexico for? You know, I've been here for two weeks. I'm setting this business up. It's, it's a fantastic situation in this, this hostel. He was like, nah, mate, I'm going to be here for five days. You know, I'm doing five days. And I'm going to move on to the next town. And then within sort of four days, he was like tagging behind me, oh. walking to say, hey, to the same girl, going to the market. He literally you know, forged his life into my routine. Have you ever been to San Miguel? No. It's beautiful, it is, yeah. It's really it is. What's the name of this hostel for yeah. when we do go? Now this oh, sounds great. I'm sold. Hostel de San Miguel, wasn't oh. it? No, it wasn't. Something along those lines. where I had my motorcycle. The story was I was in Mexico <laughs> taking a motorcycle trip through Central America. So I'd gone to San Miguel to get a motorcycle license because that was apparently the easiest place to pick one up to buy a new bike. So I used this hostel as my registration for the actual motorcycle. So I can't for the life of me. We have we have them on uh, on Facebook though. Yeah, we, we can do. tell you afterwards. They're really but, nice, um, and they, they still interact with our Facebook staff. They still ask us how we're doing. They, they still are. Really nice. But the town, San Miguel, it's it's, yeah, it might it's be a, a it's a little bit of a retirement town. A lot of Americans go down there to yeah. retire, but. It's like the perfect. The climate the, was unbelievable. The weather was great, sunny yeah. all year round. It was. Great food. We met this crazy clown fellow there. He was a, he was a funny guy, wasn't he? That was that room. Like a literal clown? A literal He was a literally a clown. Mexican clown. We, we met, yeah, he ruined. We, we had this like incredible productivity going for a while where we would like get up, do our work, and then this clown moved into the <laughs> hostel and he just like blew over the whole thing. But he was like a traditional clown. He was like a, he was like a traditional Mexican. He had like a couple of fake guns and he had like yeah. boots and he had these like spurs on the back of his boots. He'd do a bit of dancing. And he was, at first, we were thinking, this guy is he's a funny guy. But then after two or three days, we were like, this guy is a nightmare. We used to call him Cigar Fingers because he had fingers on my life. They were, like, insanely thick. Like, they were so big. When he, when he pointed, he, he really... When he, when he pointed, you honestly, you felt like someone was, like, shoving an arm. It was huge, his fingers. And he would ju- he was so obnoxious. Like, you'd be trying to work, and he'd just come up to you, and he'd, he was drunk all the time. And he was like, so, do you think I'm ashamed that I'm a clown? Is that what you think? And he obviously had this, like, deep-seated It was quite tragic, because, like, he was, clown. he was an entertainer, he was a clown, but you could, he would get drunk, and then you would see the insecurities oh, that he God. had. And it was like... <laughs> he and he was time, so open about it. He, he, was, he would he, just confront us. He'd be like, you two are losers. Sat here working all day while I'm out picking up chicks. <laughs> and then he'd be like, I bet you think it's funny that I'm a clown, don't you? We'd be like, no, like, we didn't say anything. And he was Isn't like, it the objective to think it's funny that it's a well, clown? This is, this is the thing, exactly. Like, you're an entertainer. <laughs> this is what you do. I remember, you know? like, was you with me? One time we went to see him in the town square where he would perform. 
and he was just completely trashed. Oh, he like, was he was just hell, drunk. Yeah. And he was just like pointing at Taurus. He was like, "Hey, you get over here. Give, give me a peso." <laughs> so yeah, that just like blew over. So how long were you in San Miguel? About three weeks or so. Three, yeah, three. I was there for about. And then did two you continue months. to travel together? Or well, I took my trip. Jamie unfortunately had to travel back to the UK for yeah. personal reasons. But then I continued my trip from San Miguel to uh, where did I go after that? To San Cristobal de las on the motorcycle. And we'd obviously made plans about starting our, our business. We were both operating. So how did that happen? You we were just, like, you're boring, and you're like, you're weird. Hey, let's well, we, start yeah, a life together. We just kind of were in the, <laughs> we bonded in San Miguel. We bonded in San Miguel over about three weeks, didn't we? Yeah. And then we just we yeah. were both starting this journey of like working online at the same time. So we were connecting over that on WhatsApp. I've been traveling prior to that. So I, I left UK in 2013. This was what 2017. Mm. So I traveled prior to that, mm. and I, I used to travel when I used to go to these countries, and then run out of money, and then go back to the UK, and think <laughs> yeah. like how the fuck am I going to sustain this? It has to be a way. So when I landed in, in San Miguel, that's really when it started for me. And then obviously when Jamie arrived, mm-hmm. he was having exactly the same, like, okay, I want to get out of banking. I want to start <coughs> something different. And that's where obviously... And we, what we was the original there. business idea? So at first yeah. we, we were drop shipping because we'd seen a course and we didn't really know anything about how to work online and we didn't really have any idea. So we started doing this separately, but along the same timeline. And that's how we were sort of still connecting. But we realized like almost immediately that this we isn't do, yeah, something sure. that we want to do and it's not something that... It was almost <laughs> like we took a college course, like we knew we had yeah. to do something, we had to learn new skills, we had to invest in ourselves. The eBay kind of businesses were just, they were pretty basic in terms not of how they operated, yeah. but yeah. it wasn't sustainable. We knew that we had to do something different, so we spoke about other, other formats and what we wanted to do. Yeah. But as we were operating businesses over the, the year that followed from mm-hmm. San Miguel, we just realized, okay, we need to do something different. And that's obviously when the, the Amazon idea really started and you know, how we kind of evolved from that. So you started shipping just like random products, we Amazon fulfillment? We were like listing Amazon products on eBay for like 40% markup. And then when the customer would, would place the order with our store on eBay, we would then just fulfill from Amazon and then say, there you go. <laughs> and then when it worked, it started to work. We're like, hey, this is, this is great. And we just grew that, grew it, grew it, grew it. And we had maybe 1,500 listings and we were fulfilling 20, 30 orders a day. And we were like, okay, this is... It's mm. great, but like it's not sustainable. But it gave us a taste that we needed really to do it's something. Not, like it's not sustainable, and it's not something that you like that you really want to Wake do. Up you don't feel alive. that yeah. customer yeah. saying, "Hey, like, see my item from your store, and it's from Amazon." Yeah. Like, what the? And we were like, but, okay, but coming like coming from like a bank, I was a banker, and Chris was an electrician, and going out to Mexico to try and earn money online to us, it, it felt like this like dream. And when I was looking at Instagram, I was seeing these travel bloggers, and I, I thought this is the only way to yeah. earn money online. So to find out there was something else was like that first wake up call. Like you, there are other ways to earn money online. So we started. That's the hardest to thing. Dabble in that. Like and when, know what's out there, isn't yeah. it? I, I think it, it's a good step because just being able to earn even a little bit of money online to keep yourself going. That's and we thing, were yeah. only spending around ten dollars a day in San Miguel. So to be able Back to, to my routine, by the way, just to, <laughs> to be able to pay that cost enables you to have a lot of time to invest in other ideas and learning. Yeah, when you're traveling as well, and you can obviously implement new ideas like that, you realise that you don't really need too much money. So you can enter almost that bootstrapping mode where you can just take care of 
you know, the, the first sort of rung of the ladder, you know, the survival mode. Mm-hmm. And then once you kind of adopt the minimalism, so to speak, you really start to see the opportunities that can arise from, you know, looking at other, other different forms of income, other businesses. And I think we were just going through that exploration stage at the time, just trying things out. And as Jamie said, I think, you know, writing a blog or doing something on Instagram, that's what you kind of see superficially on the outside. But when you start to listen to podcasts such as the Johnny FD podcast, the Trouble on the Boss, things like that, you think, okay, well, you know, affiliate marketing, what's affiliate marketing? You know, what's Amazon FBA? How can I implement copywriting, things like that? And it was just how we, we had our minds open up to different ways to kind of survive on the, on the road rules. How did you go from there to Jungle Straws being born? I'll let you explain that part. I mean, well, actually, no, whose idea probably, was it? Well, what happened was, it wasn't really an idea. We, we knew we wanted to do Amazon FBA. We were like, okay, Amazon FBA is the, the next progression from. I've been an eBay dropshipper. So we were looking for pro- products and we were doing that for maybe five, six months. We were looking at things like baby slings. We were looking at travel pillows. And we were Why doing the baby slings? That's so random. We took courses and we were like, okay, this is what we're being told in the course. You need to look at the, the Amazon reviews, look at how they sell. And through this research, you can, you know, identify products that have, you know, like maybe less competition. And one of the products was a baby sling. And it was like totally ridiculous compared to what we do now and knowing how involved we are now knowing that we would never have had the same passion to get involved. We were just sort of batting about ideas, basically. We, based on what people had told us, could be successful on Amazon. But I think eventually we were drawn to Bamboo Straws as an initial product because it's relatively cheap and it creates a positive impact in the world. So had that ever previously been something driving either of you to create a positive impact? Do you know what? I think the more we travelled, the more we probably thought, okay, we want to have a a, a you know, greater impact in the world because we'd, we'd seen so much damage from plastic we'd seen so much pollution and we were like okay well if we could potentially find a product that was sustainable was ethical then surely that's the, the best you know way to, to go about it and, and admittedly at the time we were just looking at the next rung of the ladder for survival mode thinking mm-hmm. okay we really want to you know grow a business grow a brand it was really important for us to grow a brand and I think both of our ethics were, we wanted to do something worthwhile. So I guess a combination of wanting to kind of survive and obviously wanting to do something but a bit more. For, for me, like I, I thought about it a little bit before that because when I worked in banking, I was just a project manager in a bank, but there was something about doing a job that you can be proud of. And I'd never felt proud to be a banker. Yeah. When someone would ask me what, what you do, I would kind of shy away from it and a little bit like, oh, shit. Well, your analogy you know, was really good. About I work in, a, as well. in an investment bank. What's your analogy? Cubicle. Oh, yeah. well, that's it's, yeah. It's not about ethics, but yeah, I had. Um, I used to sit next to a thirty-six-year-old. I was about twenty-six at the time. A thirty-six-year-old, a fifty-six-year-old, and a guy that was a little bit older who was in his sixties. And the thirty-six-year-old was just getting married, and he just bought a house. And the fifty-six-year-old had a couple of houses, and the sixty-year-old was sort of like entering retirement stage. He had two kids in private school. He had a few houses. And you could see what was going to happen in your life. If you sat, you were sat literally at the beginning of this metaphorical and physical chain of events. And I just looked at them and I I thought, is that what I want my life to be? Are they proud of what they're doing? Like they've spent 20 years managing these projects in huge investment banks. Maybe they are proud of what they're doing, but I wasn't particularly like, proud of that i didn't want to talk about it so that's why i left to try and take a chance and find something that i could be proud of i think i had a very similar experience in a job that i had prior to leaving in 2013 you know i used to go to team meetings and there was a lot of upper management and they would obviously 
come up with targets that we'd have to obviously try and hear. It just got to a stage where you realise you were just part of the corporate wheel. And one particular employee, I used to stand up in these team meetings or make myself known and, and clear that it wasn't fair what they were asking and demanding us you know, to do. Wow, that's bold. It was a little bit, but I just, I mean, I was not a troublemaker, but I was a troublemaker, so to speak. I was just, I could sense the injustice. If you follow him on Facebook, he is, yeah, a, you know, yeah, he is a troublemaker. Know. I, I don't, he doesn't post anything other than uh, just political driven, rants. Yeah. Same with Trevor. I care. I'm, I'm, very, I'm very passionate about like injustices in the world. I knew at the time I was evolving differently. I was coming up to 30. I was thinking, I don't want to be around these people. I want to go traveling. I want to understand the world a little bit more. I want to meet people from other cultures. What was being printed in the media, I wasn't resonating with. And this one particular employee turned around to me and he said, look, Chris, you've got a good job. Don't put your head above the parapet because what are you doing if you want to climb the ladder? And I was thinking at the time, well, I want to climb the ladder and I feel like I'm just aimlessly plugging along, you know, looking for the next paycheck. But it didn't really resonate with me. And his, and his words... His words would just spur me on. I said, I can't do it. And then I, my story was I quit my job, broke up with my girlfriend... And then looked at one way tickets to Peru, and that was in 2013. And it turned out wow. to be the best thing I ever did until I met this guy in Mexico. Aww. <laughs> I'm only joking, mate. <laughs> no, but we've come a long way since that time in Mexico, really, in terms of our business and you know, both on a friendship level and yeah. a business level, too. Yeah, all right. So, can you describe what Jungle Straws is and tell the tale? Uh, yeah, sure. So, mainly we focus on making direct contact with farms and small workshops in Vietnam sourcing products from manufacturers that share us equal values of faculty and we produce products that are a little bit more unique than let's say the products that come off of Alibaba. So we work with these small suppliers in Vietnam and we sell online and wholesale in the UK and the US and the rest of Europe. I think it was quite important to us really at the start. Yeah, maybe pause for a sec because this is loud to put it on the table. It's really interesting. We, we've had some great stories, um, and when we yeah. first when we first started, we well, I was in Vietnam, and we decided on the bamboo straw. We think, okay, this is a great. Wait, so did Vietnam? How did you did Vietnam beget straws, or straws beget Vietnam? I was in Vietnam. Jamie was living in Lisbon. He sent me an article about the straw ban in the UK, and he was like, okay, well, maybe you know bamboo straws is, is quite a product to go with. We ah. already looked at bamboo toothbrushes, and we knew that the entry to bamboo toothbrushes was a little bit more difficult than the entrance say bamboo straws. So I then contacted someone I knew in, in Vietnam, being there at the time. So yeah, I, I was in Vietnam at the time. I put a, a, a message out on one of the Facebook expat groups and I said, hey, look, I'm looking for bamboo products. Can anyone help me? And I was put in contact with a, a lady called Tui. She sent me a few straws and it was basically through them, them straws. You know, in Vietnam, there could be this one old lady on the street and she has been making this one dish, nothing else for the last 40 years and her mum taught her how to make it and over time they have perfected like this one dish to a level that is insane and it's yes. the same with rice and bami yes. and everything and, and, you, the and it is yeah. incredible and the, the other thing that's really interesting about Vietnamese food it's all affected by history. You can see how their food has developed. Like the bami came from the French. Yeah, yeah the broken rice came. They used to, after the Vietnamese war they had famine. They used to chop, split the rice in half and create this kind of couscous dish. And then they ended up liking it and now it's a staple part of their cuisine. Every single dish in Vietnam is like localised. So in Hoi An where we live, you, you 
buy cow lao or you can buy a uh, meat quang noodles, which is only available in that particular region of Vietnam. So when you're traveling like we do, you go to some obscure town and they'll say, hey, have you tried the bun chow, for example? And you're like, no, it's great. And you'd only find it in that particular region of Vietnam. And it's so, the food, the culture and the history there, like Jamie's talking about for the food, is just so diverse. And it makes it so exciting when, you, when we travel, especially doing what we do. You yeah. guys, if your vision of Vietnamese food is pho and bunch uh, and bami, and I talk, I spoke to you at the Nomad Summit, and you guys love food. You definitely, that's exactly what my vision was. You de- you're, you definitely have to go because you'll open up. I mean, we've tried like we just we traveled around Vietnam significantly more than we traveled around Thailand, yeah. and. It's just kind of like, I don't know what is technically Vietnamese food. <laughs> yeah. We went to this one, the best vegetarian restaurant I've ever been to in the world in Saigon. Ama or something like that. I've they, only been to Saigon once. Okay. Uh, they definitely have at least one location in Hanoi, but not in Hoi And it was insane. I mean, it was, we got a lot of food there and it was just like, we were like, Tearing up at how delicious every single thing was. We had a pomelo salad that was like life changing. I feel like most pomelo salad is just kind of like a it shredded is, pomelo with some fish sauce dumped on it and it's gross. Kind of country, so you get a dish and you try it and then you just literally, it's like, wow, there's a silence, you know, for like it a comes, minute. It comes from the strangest place. Like, it really you, you, you think in most countries you go to a nice restaurant and you get good food, but in Vietnam it's the opposite. You go to the shittest, like most run-down little place on the corner and there's one like old lady cooking in a pot and it looks gross and that is going to be the life-changing food. It's, we have not had this experience yet. Of, like, of the times when we've eaten street food in Vietnam or Thailand, it has been like, we go because a friend brings us, being like, yeah. here, we'll try this place. Like, we they just went to... Give me the best soup, you know? Yeah. And you get there, and it's like... We've kind of fallen into it by chance. Like, when we drive and say to the farm, like, we'll, we'll arrive at the city, we'll hire a motorcycle, we'll just drive into the wilderness, and obviously we need to stop somewhere. So we'll, we'll approach towns and little villages, and they look at us like, who the hell are these guys? <laughs> stop off and it's just the like, like Jamie's saying there's this place on the street that you have no idea what's in that part and you just say what say you say one or two and then they just put this bowl in front of you you're like okay but then it's just magical. I might die it's, absolutely, yeah. it's by chance but it's also by laws of average we've eaten so many noodles from random places <laughs> oh, man, that yeah. eventually you're going to stumble across something incredibly mm. good so there's a certain amount of like kind of noodles. I think it was An- An- Anthony Bourdain yeah. when when he went to Vietnam. He said that the best food is served on plastic tables with plastic chairs. Because your neighbours aren't and poisoning you like the restaurants in the five star hotels are. You know, yeah. they're, they're, that's where real food is is cooked you know, mm-hmm. on the street. And that's what that, that so you say neighbours aren't going to poison you because yeah, they like cook, they, they cooked for their neighbours at those restaurants. Yeah. It, it's not for tourists. It's for they've been there for generations cooking for their friends and family. So you don't necessarily have to worry about food poisoning like you might do in another tourist spot in Thailand, for example, getting street food, the local people cooking for their family, everything's nice. I think it's a wonderful point. I've been wanting to try more street food. She's a little bit more uh, selective in our eating habits. She also doesn't eat pork, which is like a... Or shrimp. Or shrimp. I, mean, I would or say, yeah, you, will ask, you will experience a bad meal in Vietnam. I'd say a bad meal, but maybe a meal that might gross you out a little bit because you don't really know what to expect. But like, you kind of have to try them bad meals to get that you know, one or two amazing quality meals yeah. around.
If you go to Vietnam and you try some street food and it's terrible, then you're only going to lose a dollar. Yeah. So don't worry about it. Yeah. One of the, I mean, I still think about, we were in Nepal and we went on a food tour. And that was really cool because then you get like, a street to, food tour. Yeah, a street food tour. So you know, a local person showing you the local spots that they've picked out, you know, especially for like, you know, and that was out of this world. It was like, like oh my gosh. she was ducking us like into tiny little doorways and alleys that, like, as a tourist, you would never even see. And we were the only white people anywhere. Everywhere she took us, it was just like, yeah, only locals. And it was every place she picked was just like. Holy shit. Like, I didn't know it could taste like this. We were going to tourist spots eating, like, momos and lassies and stuff, other, like, Nepali typical food, and uh, it was nothing in comparison to this. We've had their experiences with the people that we've kind of met along the way, you know, going to the farms. We've had people that we've kind of worked alongside, translators. Um, We've had people, when we've been at the farms, who are are really proud and they want to show us a local cuisine of where they live. And they'll say, come and try these snails, you know, these snails cooked with chili and lemongrass. And we're like, okay, this sounds a bit odd, but we'll go. And we've had like incredible, incredible meals. Or they they cook. Or they cook, We've had, we've stayed in um, a few, with a few farmers and their family have made like a really good meal for us. Sometimes, admittedly, it's been completely gross. <laughs> yeah. like, what was they trying to make for you? Intestines? They served like uh, pickled intestines or something like that, and um, you just have to eat it because politeness. The Vietnamese yeah. culture, especially family culture, is that you wake up in the morning quite early, it's like 5am, and then you'd all sit around, they'll put the rug out, and you'll sit on the rug, and you'll eat food with them same at night time as well and it'll be anything like you just don't know what to expect the staple is obviously noodles some type of vegetables but like as Jamie was saying like it can be intestines it can be chicken feed but then the next day you'll just get this amazing pork that's been fried in garlic and it's like wow this is amazing so it's very very varied for that yeah you've got to kind of dodge your meals first. where were we before <laughs> You were you were just starting to tell us about jungle straws and the how you had the idea for it and just starting to get into ethics James and morals. In, he was in uh, Lisbon at the time and that's when the idea kind of came about and I was in Vietnam knowing that there was an abundance of bamboo. Um, I put out the message on Facebook on the expat groups and said, Hey, I'm looking for bamboo products where they're made locally without knowing where we would be taking jungle straws at the time. And that's when I found Twee. And Twee was the girl that we initially worked with who had a contact connection with one of these bamboo farms in Tanhua. And she sent me a few samples of straws. So I took a few photos to Jamie and we said, they're really good products. You know, maybe we should sort of put a test order in with this girl Twee and, you know, see how they sell on Amazon. Because at the time, we, we just didn't know where we were going to take the business. That basically what happened. And, and I went back to Hoi An from Bali. I was living in Bali and I went to pack up these straws. We had a few bags made and we just shipped them to the UK. And, that was really the first product that we had and then kind of what came after that after they started selling we were like okay these are really really great products we really want to get to the, the core of where they make the straws where they harvest the bamboo we want to tell the story behind the straws so we got in contact with Twee and, and she took us to the farm I think this is a, a leads to a really good point is that a lot of Amazon sellers or people that create products in western places western countries they'll go on Alibaba and they will never see behind the curtain sort of thing. And even with us in Vietnam, dealing with the farm via Tui, who we trusted at the time, we were still kind of duped to start off with. Because Tui actually, she, we found out eventually that she had been taken advantage of these farmers. 
and she was more educated than them and she'd cornered them into this contract that they couldn't get out of and so they were only allowed to sell straws to her and they were sort of suffering on this low income while Twee was reaping the rewards of selling to uh, foreign markets because she could speak English. So for us it was amazing to go back to the farm and we took a translator. We found out all of this information and then we started working directly with the farm. I'm not blaming businesses in Western countries, but it's really difficult for any of them to know what's going on on the ground. So difficult, because when we obviously contacted Twee and we got the straws and we, I went to the farm when Jamie was still in Lisbon before he came to join me in, in, in Vietnam, we wanted to, to tell that story. And I could sense at the time that there was something not quite right. You know, the farmers, they knew Twee, but there was something not quite right. But I couldn't obviously understand the language and I couldn't figure it out. And we obviously placed the order for the first first batch of straws and it was very successful. And then when we realized the value in the product, the value in what Jamie's saying, that we wanted to tell the story, we wanted to have our brand reflect this, we needed to obviously go directly there and find out exactly how they're made and, and speak to them and that's when we realized that we hadn't really been doing everything that we thought was as transparent as it could be yeah um, we had to take a translator and to be honest the last year has been a huge huge journey because it's not come easy you know like most people amazon sellers they go on to alibaba they'll order a product it's a very very smooth transaction but the relationship that we built up over the last year, 18 months, with these farmers has taken a lot of work, a lot of understanding, it's taken translation. It's been an amazing adventure, but it's been very, very difficult to do business in Vietnam. But we were so glad that we, we did it that way, because now we have the story to tell, and we can show what we do through our products and, and resonate with the customers who want to buy it. Some, sometimes it's crazy though, like um, I'm just a guy from London, and one day you'll have this reflective moment when you're sat at a table in a small hut filled with bamboo farmers having a business meeting and you're just like, what am I doing here? You know, like, what is going on? And uh, yeah, you have these like strange moments you where you're like, how, how did my life lead from investment banking to this? Do you remember the time we went from one farm to the other farm? Because we were, we were looking at other uh, bamboo cutlery at the time and we, we knew there was another farm in the area which was like 40, 50 kilometers away. And we were, we were like, how do we get there? Like, you know, we can't get a bus. Like, and one of the farmers who straw farms had taken a couple of our bikes. So we were like, yeah, no problem. So we jumped on these bikes and the, the, the journey there was just yeah. Yeah. full of mud and we were falling off. And we we drove on, on motorbikes to look for this, this bamboo cutlery guy. We, we didn't even really know that this... We, we had heard that there was a bamboo cutlery guy in, and in the mountains. So we took these motorbikes out and we probably drove two hours and then we came to a dirt path and we drove literally 20 minutes down this dirt path looking for this house and over a river there was a shallow river and Chris just drove straight over this river and I was just like no no and eventually we came to this hut that was made of bamboo and this guy with really long hair who he's a naturist and he lives amongst nature in the mountains and he just carves bamboo cutlery in this hut. But that and that he's, moment, he's, I think right there, like we, the, to, the journey to that particular farm, it took so much effort. And it, was, it was at times really stressful. But then as soon as we, we come through the, the mountain road and we, we saw where he lived and we just looked at each other and we thought, this is it. This is why we're doing what we're doing. Because it's just one of the opportunities to, that people get to, to do this. It's, it's not many. You know, we could be sitting in the cubicle back in the bank or, you know, around someone's house, you know, fitting electrics, but, you know, we're in rural Vietnam, you know, discovering now, these amazing... Five or six months people. later, this guy, he makes bamboo cutlery for us every month. He's got a small production line. 
and he's built bamboo houses for his workers. And uh, we've gone back and stayed with him, um, slept on his mother's floor in her bamboo house. Yeah, and they, they, but it's incredible where, where, where it's set. This little community is in between all these huge Vietnamese mountains, and it's so peaceful. So I almost well. wanted to just quit and stay there forever. Oh, like, it was yeah, in, it is incredible. I know. I was like, can I carve these bamboo knives? It's, it's incredible um, to see how how they make the bamboo cutlery, and obviously they visit where they live, and to, to actually spend time with their family, and then you leave, and it's such a humbling experience. But then you also have the other side of it when you actually start selling the product, and people buy the product, and people start telling you how great the product is, and then you see on Instagram and Facebook and on your website people yeah. sharing photos of it, and you like. You can see the journey, you know. We we can see where you know the first phone call to meet the, the farmers to then you know people sharing it on, on, on social media, and it's it's that journey that really kind of spurs us on into doing what we're doing. To be yeah, honest. it's great. And you can see all your version of this journey on your website, correct? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. we're we're constantly updating it. We documented in video the jungle straws and uh, the bamboo straw farms. And with the cutlery, we, we've taken photos and some of our other products, we've taken photos of where, where it's made. When we first visit the places, we don't really like to immediately start, let, yeah, let's video this, let's video this. We go there a few times, we meet them and bring our translator and we build a relationship and then then we create the video. It has to be an organic process because they're private people and they're they're very different and and ultimately they're fantastic, lovely people. But you can't just turn up and say, hey, come with a camera, we we wanted to, to make cutlery for this because we love your product but it's been a journey and it's been yeah. something that it, it's a process and will continue to be a, to be a process it's about trust the originally the guy who the head carpenter of who makes the bamboo cutlery he he was very skeptical of us and he wanted us to commit to contracts uh, for a certain amount and you have to show him that you're willing to give and build up that relationship and now we're, we're scheduled to go back we're going to a coconut farm actually in a few weeks to make some, some videos we've got goals and this year after we're going back to the bamboo cutlery farm so this year we want to spend a lot of time you know with the people that we've already built up fantastic relationships with and we want to take a lot of content we want to really document the journey because one thing that we found especially with sustainability now is there's a lot of greenwashing from companies yeah. and it's terrible it's really disingenuous and we know as a as an ethical manufacturer and ethical brand we want to do things a little bit differently and the best way that we can do that is to tell them the stories behind our products we want to go to these places we're very very lucky that we can travel we can go to vietnam we can meet these people but to, to be able to tell the stories through the products that we actually sell is, is something that's so important to us so when we get back to vietnam in a couple of weeks we're going to a region called ben Tre, which is famed for coconuts and the, the farmers collect the old coconut shells that fall off the trees and then we, we send them to our manufacturing place in, in vietnam and they engrave onto the bowls we want to film the entire process and tell that story and it's just just interesting. People want to know, and we were absolutely blown away when we first went to the farm. So we know that other people. We, we document it across all of our platforms, so you can see it on our website, on our Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, put it everywhere because we feel it's, it's really important. We really like to try and help people connect with the story and the people who make the product, not just yeah, the product itself. Because the product is just literally the end product. Uh, yeah. You know, when someone's using a cutlery or so eating out one of our bowls, that's that's the the end. You know, that's the result of, of the, the work that we've put in prior to that. But there's a story that you know makes that happen. It's, it's a very interesting story. It certainly is. And I, I obviously took a look at your website. And 
read a lot of the story myself, and it was it was engaging, and, and some of the pictures are compelling, absolutely. Yeah. I suggest all of our listeners to check it out. <laughs> Junglestraws.com and junglecultureeco. Yes. Follow us on social media too, where we share a lot of the content firsthand. Really, we do a lot of stories and a lot of posting on there. Same names on social media. No, Jungle Culture Zero Waste on Facebook, but jungleculture.eco on uh, Instagram, and then Jungle Straws for both handles. And with the, the way that the business grew at the time, like we knew that we had to scale the business quite quickly because the demand was there for the products. We realized that we had to work directly with the farmers, not just story, but because we needed to you know, rely on one entity. And, and I think where Twee helped us initially at the start, we really need to have that direct, you know, link, and we still obviously have this great relationship. We just, you know, just use it for, for for other bits and pieces, and we're more friends now rather than kind of business partners. So just... Yeah, I mean, let me think of what what else. I'd say I would love one of those razors if, if I shaved. Uh, I want an excuse to get one of them. But really, they're the polished, yeah, nice. Yeah. I mean, all all of your products. We'll send you. Yeah, you all right. Stuff. <laughs> all right. Yeah, we'll send you a free podcast yeah, pack. Great. Don't <laughs> worry about it. They really are. Yeah, I think the important thing is we just love what we do, really. I mean, if you compare to where we were five years ago, James in the back, and you know, doing electrical work, it's just different. It's, it's much more in line with what we enjoy doing, which is traveling, meeting people. I'm curious for, like, personal reasons. What What's the breakdown of your time? Of, like, how much time do you allot to this whole building relationships versus spending time online versus marketing I mean uh, like the, the building relationships is not a time consuming it's just enjoyment enjoyment really you know going there it and consumes all of our time yeah. in, a, in a short period of time if we yeah. go to this bamboo house community to visit the farmers that make the bamboo cutlery they don't have internet right. so once we're there we are there and we were there for about three days a couple of weeks ago and that that was three days 100% time committed to boosting our relationship. But it's almost downtime because it is business related, of course, because we're speaking to the people that you know make the make our business a reality. But we've actually had a lot of success and grow very, very fast. We work with a lot of you know, big companies, National Geographic, Tom, um, been on BBC in the UK and And did they just find you? How did they find you? Website they actually mainly. just find us. Yeah, they just we, we don't we've never reached out to a big company. We reach out sometimes to smaller shops. And we don't want to come across spammy and salesy. We, we yeah. do what we do. You know, we want people to find us organically because they enjoy what we do. So we've never really been spammy and sent out sales emails and say, hey, no, we pray for two straws or whatever. We just get I think we should do that. Though. We... Yeah. Sorry. So what does yeah. an average workday look like for you then? In the midst of a mountain. Do you want to go, go for a full day? Yeah, why not? Follow you around yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll yeah. do mine and Chris can do his. How much of the time in a year are you together? Well, every day, quite a lot. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> Too much. All right. yeah. <laughs> Too much time. We have like... we argue. Like, we, 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 get, we have a really good relationship. Obviously, both friendship and, and uh, business relationship as well. But there's times where we will clash, as you'd expect in the business. We're literally, we're like a married couple. <laughs> yeah. We're like people in, in Hoi An. They refer to us in, in pairs. Like Chris and Jamie. Like we, they sometimes, And Chris has got a girlfriend who lives in Hoi An. And sometimes they'll be like Chris and Jamie and Molly. <laughs> you know, like, it's, it's, it's like we do have a lot of arguments. Like, uh, 
just little things Nick like picky we, we, things. we disagree on certain things or something that happens yeah. like, but it's, it's just normal we, I'll give you an example of our, our tiny arguments like Chris uh, Chris sends voice messages like 10 minute voice messages <laughs> about it like in really detailed but like, but like how can I I'm doing I'm busy like I can't listen to a 10 Jamie minute can't, can't voice message and, and the thing about voice messages it's very like put into a spreadsheet and if you, if you, we are the same. you hear a voice message, how are you going to react to that information? You have to like write notes on yeah. the voice message. Why don't you just leave me a bullet point list of what you this want me to do? My, like, I love you. Yeah, this I know. Like, I feel you but, so, so hard. So proud. you'll send like a 10 minute message and then like a 6 minute message. And it's like, this is a quarter of an hour. Are you kidding me? That's like a big portion of a day. Like, And I have to live. So I told him like, you can't send voice messages. I can't do it, and, and then he's like, oh, but this is a modern way of communicating, and then we get into this like huge argument over it, yeah. how we should communicate, and it's just, yeah, it, just yeah, little, little, little like nitpicky things like that we are In my about. defense as well, like I'll send him a message, and I'm like, Jamie, we need to kind of, you know, go through this Facebook ad or something like that, and it's like maybe half past seven on a No, on do a you know Tuesday what? Shut night. up a minute. And he doesn't what? respond until like 7 a.m., and I'm like freaking out in the meantime, like, do I, do I take this decision myself? And he's like, at some restaurant or something, I don't know, <laughs> having a... Having he sends me voice messages right imagine this like I, when I'm really busy he, he'll send me a voice message and he'll start talking about business stuff I'm like really into it I'm like yeah yeah mate that's a really good point point. and then I'll just hear oh yeah can I get a latte please and then the woman will be like oh we don't have um, soy milk or whatever and he'll be like uh, do you have um... and it'll just start having this like conversation and I'm just like there listening my time is literally being sacrificed and I'm just like you just like most of my, two most of my, of my life, my time is spent like I, for the last like what feels like eighteen months. All my life has been this business. So yeah. every from a, the moment, I find it very difficult to detach from this business. So I guess when I, I wake up, I'm thinking about the job. I find, it's been only recently that I've had to like okay, I'm gonna have to put down the business for an hour and learn another skill, or I've got to like pick up a Kindle and read a book on something completely unrelated. So when something enters my mind, business related, I have to run it past him. And my, my way of doing that is in voice messages. And as he says, my voice messages can be why the, fucking ha, Have you ever thought of a compromise of using talk to text? You know what? We what tried it. Talk to tried it. It's when you talk and uh, text a message for you. It's, it doesn't work. I've got a dodgy hybrid southern northern accent. Uh, yes, that's fair. I have to even take my already robotic American accent and try to sound more like a robot to get it to be accurate. I'll yeah, tell you one thing we, he does is like I'm, I'm, I'm working out figures in uh, you know like this morning for example in the coffee shop I'm asking Siri I've got this big list of numbers instead of using the calculator I'm like Siri 150 plus 100 plus 160 halfway through he sees, sees where I'm at and he goes 26 anything anything I can do to annoy him like sometimes when when he's recording a voice message you can see on WhatsApp, you can see Chris is recording audio, and sometimes I'll watch it, and I can see it's been going on for two, three minutes, and I just wait, I just wait in the wind and bide my time, and then when it's been about five or six minutes, I just call him and it interrupts the message and deletes it, and he's just like, "Oh fucking hell, you're such an idiot!" Like, and I just do that. I love when story. when I catch that moment. It's the sweetest <laughs> feeling. Doesn't know, you update the app, and it just instead of deletes the message, it just kind of leaves it where you last, where you last uh. recorded. So then he still gets it anyway. He still doesn't respond. Yeah, <laughs> but no, we do have a lot of arguments, but it resolves itself. You want to do a daily routine?
Wait, first, I want to know, how has your relationship with each other, like, informed your relationship with other people and your knowledge about yourself? Like, have you learned a lot about yourself as individuals? I've learned a lot about him. Like, every time he makes a, a decision on, 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 a, on a meal or wants food, he looks on Google, he's like, mate, should we go to this one? Like, this has got 4.6 out of 5, and they've got a really good burger, but I really fancy going for that one. And then he's on Google, and he's, he's Googling the, the, the restaurant. Look at that, mate. Oh, wow, it's amazing. It's fantastic. Oh, mate, I don't know what to do, what restaurant to go to. I don't know how to have burgers. It's frustrating. Just I, gotta, just I, put up. I, to his credit, I'll say how I've changed since meeting Chris is that Chris is very hardworking and very committed. And... When you have a business partner that's so hardworking and so committed to, to the business, you have to also be equal to that. So Chris has encouraged me to be more proactive and more hardworking when maybe in the past I would have seen that we're doing really well and sort of fallen back. But Chris never stops. He's got so much energy for someone who's so old. <laughs> Like, so he's, he's 37 years old. That is seven years difference. And I would say... And I, I don't know how he's got this much energy. Like, um, Do you eat sugar? I don't. You know, I actually don't. I literally do not eat sugar. I fast a lot. I do a lot of intermittent fasting. And I really enjoy intermittent fasting. And I think that gives me a lot of energy. But I just really enjoy life. And I would say in Jamie's defence as well, he's taught me the opposite. He has told me that, like, okay, you don't always have to work all Great. the time. Like, you can... You can just slow it down and not let this bother you. And I'm like, yeah. okay, okay, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take a breath. So, like meeting yeah, in the middle probably sounds it is, like it the is good and, and I, it is, it has been. The, the working, working hard is definitely a positive trait, but with that, there's also this trait of like, um, if there's a problem, instant worry and instant anxiety about the problem instead of letting it cool off for a little bit and trying to react to it in a measured like Chris will want to deal with it immediately and try and fix it right there, right now. But sometimes problems can't be fixed like that. Sometimes you just have to wait a little while and see what happens. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's yeah, that's that's a fair, fair analysis. Summary. But I, I sometimes think that you could care a little bit more. Come on, this is important. We just lost our Amazon listing, and they, yeah, that'd be nice. it works well. Yes, yes, of course. I want the. All right, daily routine. Your daily routine. From a typical day in Hoi An. I wake up at 6.45, read. Read fiction or non-fiction? Both. Whatever. Um, Some, yeah, just depends. Sometimes I like to read. I wouldn't say I really read self- What you read is free books on Kindle. He's like, oh, I've got a Kindle now. What do I do? Kindle Unlimited. I just buy the books that are free. Well, Kindle Unlimited is a £9 subscription. You can't get good books though. I also, I buy them, it depends, it depends. I like Kindle Unlimited, but if there's a book I really want to read, then I read it. But I, yeah, I don't know, I read I read everything. Um, normally I like things that you can take immediate action into yeah. your life. Um, something that Is there you, a timeline on the reading? You just read until you I read at least two chapters, no more normally, unless uh, maybe I'll weaken them, I read more, but mostly on weekday it'll be two chapters, do some exercise immediately after, shower, and then um, and then I have, I, I the one thing I did take from banking is um, organisational skills. Do you not have very good organisational skills? <laughs> Everyone's like, yes, then I do this, 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 and I'm like, when the 
did everybody get so organized? <laughs> and why was, why did I get the memo? Yeah, like nobody. Uh, I said it was because we were in the different class than you were, because we were the organized kids. <laughs> Do you know what? Like, I can't claim that I had just revolutionized the organizational skills. I literally poached it from my banking job, uh, working as a project manager, the senior project manager would always have a morning meeting with the team and he would always be very clear about what everyone's individual jobs for the day were wow, and amazing. I found that really helpful so now I always just have a morning meeting with myself and it only takes 10 minutes and I just write down what my jobs for the day are really and I do a few other things but that's the main point of it highlight them in yellow and then as I go through them in the day I just de-highlight them and that just helps to structure the day so much easier because sometimes I find I'm just sat there at 1pm or whatever and I'm like oh, I just finished this task what else can I do uh, there's not really much else now I look back and I'm like oh wait I still need to do that so after I've done that it takes about t 10 minutes and then normally I'm starting work by about 7.45 and that's answering emails from all of our clients it takes at least two hours probably uh, every day. Then also managing, we have a, an employee in Vietnam, her name's Tung. She's a, she's a real sassy character. She calls me fat, old, <laughs> ugly. She just like berates me. She berates me every day. She is just like, she has no respect for my position at all. But that's fine, like we really get on, we're really good friends. So yeah, I just have to make sure that she knows what she's doing for the day. Um, she handles some of our social media, she does a lot of research for us online and she does some of our engraving as well. So I make sure that she knows what she's doing and then after that it's just a free-for-all about SEO, marketing, sales, anything, anything that's related to the business. I probably, I have a timer on my phone that goes off at 9pm that says no more work. So usually your day is 7.45 to 9? No, it's more like 4pm, like you just sneak off and go, right, I'm going home now and go off at 4pm and that's <laughs> no, it. Normally... 9pm is a load of shit. No, no, no. 9pm. 9 <laughs> normally I don't work until 9pm. Let's get my phone out. I was texting you over the last couple of days and I just don't get a reply. Normally I don't work until 9pm. Hey, this has not been normal days the last couple of days. But there were there's been periods over the past year and a half, there have been periods where we've had to work until 12 Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. In the morning. And there was a period where we had like so many orders that we literally had to take shifts where I would do the night shift and Chris would do the morning shift and I was working till 1am every night and what I found over that three or four month period was like if I work past like 9pm it really affects my health. You've recently changed your routine like yeah. it, it wasn't as you're explaining now it's something that you've recently implemented yeah. because I think you kind of needed to go through that because there was a lot of sporadicness to how we, we operated yeah. and obviously how you did. That working really late at night it it stops you from being able to have a clean sleep and then that impacts on your next day and it compounds and compounds and I was just feeling so stressed, couldn't sleep and so that the reason is right, I don't normally work until 9pm anymore but if I am working because normally just, I will do I will do to happen I will do some work at night time like normally I'll have dinner at about five or six and then after that I'll get emails and sometimes you can close a sales deal or something like that because there's sometimes there's important emails that I could respond to immediately if it goes past 9 p.m. that's just my time where I just say regardless of 
what comes through now is not getting answered yeah. until tomorrow. So that's so normally I, I finish work around six, seven. That's it's been like over the last like, year. It's been up and down, isn't it? It's never really stayed the same. Um, and I think that's just the nature of how we've grown the business. We, time. we did have a period where we were honestly running a factory. We had so many orders come through in such a short amount of time, and I mean, we was our first order. We had a client come through. We won't name them, but it was a very big client, and they. They ordered 150,000 straws, oh, all engraved. Wow. And as we were closing the deal, we were like, obviously trying to retain our professionalism as you do as a fledgling business. And we were like, yeah, this is fine. And we received the first payment from them, which is a considerable amount of money. And then we were like, yeah, absolutely no problem. Two months, fine, we'll get the first shipment out. And then that conversation kind of ended. And we were like, yeah, it's unbelievable. But then we had the reality of obviously getting oh, that done. Yeah. The reality was like, we have an engraving machine that engraves. If you set it, if you start at 7 a.m. and you end at 1 a.m., 2,500 straws a day. And that is like, we're working 15 hours a day between us on just engraving. And we've also got to control every other aspect of the business. <laughs> every other order, so, all the Amazon sales, all yeah. the websites. And we, so we were we're still getting, we're still getting other engraved straw orders. In that time, we had one for like 10,000, 2,000, 8,000. And they're just building up and the pressure's just building. And so we were doing shifts. Chris was getting to my house where the engraving machine is. At like 7am, I was leaving the door open, he was coming in, working until 12, I'd take over the engraving, we'd literally, yeah, we'd go through the night, packing, it was mental. It was insane, but it was exciting at the same time, because they were our biggest client, and we didn't really know exactly where the business was going to go, and we knew that it was becoming successful, but that was a defining moment, because it was so difficult it's important to know that they hate us <laughs> we no they don't they don't hate us they don't hate us but it was we we just took on a lot more than than we could handle and but in we, defense, but i we, think they weren't very clear with what they wanted because they assumed that we had the shipping capacity to have it shipped off by sea and we're not very forward as ourselves we and learned a lesson that we're not we're not a factory. I think that yeah, was the main lesson that, that we learned. So immediately after that, we pulled in the help of um, a big <laughs> warehouse in Hanoi that can engrave 10,000 a day. Oh, wow. And uh, we'll handle smaller orders, but if it's anything that we feel is going to be too much, then we, we let them do it. We had to, to kind of, you know, shoulder some of the responsibility because we knew that we could only do certain elements ourselves. And I think our strong points are, you know, the brand, growing the brand, you know, brand image, you know, telling the story, you know, looking at the data that we get through our ads and things like that, and obviously putting that into, into practice rather than having to, you know, operate a graving machine. It's not something that, you know, co-founders should be doing in the business, but because it was a, you know, very young business at the time, we had to do everything. The story is probably prevalent. I think I've got a photo of, most of, um, of Chris having a mental breakdown, actually. Uh, <laughs> can you send this to us so we can share on our Instagram? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So. I knew this photo would be useful one day. Um, I'm also going to share one as well, if that's okay. Yeah, but you have to share a relevant one. If it's relevant, you it's, can it's, share It's it. extremely relevant to your impending, impending breakdown before you start your new routine, so I might let the viewers see it if you're going to put it onto the website. It's a cracker. Well, do you know, it's not a new routine. Like, getting, getting up that early was a new routine. 
But all right, here's Chris having a mental breakdown in our office. Oh, mid mid breakdown, hand on head, underwear bandit, <laughs> underwear entrepreneur. Sorry, as, as I told you, like he's just just too. in the on, entre, uh, just in the underwear, <laughs> and he was just he came in one morning and he was just like, "What are we gonna do? I can't handle this anymore. It's too it much. Oh. It was two, two months into engraving all day long, packing all day long." Working online, that You're was uh, that, that was a mental breakdown. I'll send you it. Don't worry. I've got so many photos on my phone that I can't find the photos. You have a meltdown. Thanks for that. That's all right. <laughs> we are known in Hoi An. Uh, how would we say? We're known as uh, these kind of couple of weird English guys that walk around the office in their pants because it's so fucking hot in Vietnam. We would go for a stage of we were we were moving boxes, packing boxes. We were, There's yeah. a period in Hoi An where it get becomes so humid that you can't go anywhere. You just have to stay indoors. So naturally, and two two white English guys, you know, yeah. like walking around their pants. It's like, okay, this is normal. <laughs> but at this, at this point, we were still very a fledgling business and we couldn't afford to hire an employee. But that stopped and, um, when we hired them because yeah. like, we just couldn't walk around doing that. When she was there, we had to be professional. So now come the <laughs> Professional just means putting on shirt. I remember one time where a Finnish department store wanted us to put a barcode on 3,000 items oh, and uh, and it was boiling hot and I, I just remember sitting in my underwear and I had a broken arm as well at the time <laughs> oh from, a, from a motorbike accident and me and Chris were just sat in our underwear for three days just barcoding, <sighs> just putting barcodes on boxes and nothing else. And it was that hot, I remember the barcodes just sliding off the Yeah, well, the sweat would go on the product and then the barcode would slip off and we'd just and we'd, the delivery drivers would be coming in all day and they'd be like, what are you two doing? Just take the money We actually go. just got a gift from the, the Vietnamese postal service. They dropped a, a crate of uh, 12 pack beers around. So that's, how, that's how much we ship in Vietnam at the moment. We've got a, We've uh, got a, a funny relationship with gift. the Vietnamese post. Yeah, you don't get that in America. So the, no, the, the Vietnamese post office was official postal yeah. service of Vietnam. They brought around some around beer and they had a really <laughs> cheeky smile on their face. And uh, yeah, they love yeah, it. That's, that's amazing. But that again is like what we love doing because the, the relationship's not just, you know, with the farmers, but, you know, the local postal service and, uh, you know, the, the establishment of the local business. Yeah. It's, it's great. You, know, it's, it's, yeah. you want to do your routine? My routine, yeah. I mean, I wake up at about seven, half six, seven every day. Uh, the first thing I do, I, I listen to a podcast. I'm, I'm a massive like, podcast fiend. Anything yeah. and everything. Do you listen to their podcast? No, I don't actually. No, but I will. Nobody, I actually did it yesterday. Then. Did you? No, I didn't. Oh. I don't listen to podcasts, <laughs> but not because I, I'm, I can't. He doesn't like audio. You know, it's a I don't like audio. Like he yeah. hates audio. Yeah. I, I, I find it difficult to take audio information. You should do uh, like a YouTube video. No, <laughs> we're very much no, I love uh, on purpose and audio medium. I find it easier when I learn Spanish and learn the language. I found it easier to like just continuously listen to, to people speaking Spanish. And what I was learning on paper, I could obviously then you know practice and I could hear it in person. So I think with the way that I learn through podcasts, for me, it's just a much much easier way to retain information. Having said that, I don't just always listen to things that are educational, so to speak. I do love listening to like business podcasts and things like that, but starting the day is just it's easier for me to start the day because you know, in the morning you don't really just want to wake up. I find it difficult just to wake up and read a book, so to speak. So I listen to podcasts, it kind of wakes me up, do a few press ups. Um, I mean, I would say that I'm more of a, an evening person. Like I, I like waking up and listening to something, but my, my working day starts really, really early. I'd say before, before James, I'm doing something. I always intermittent fast, probably. I'd say five times a week I do an intermittent fast and I do some exercise and everything but I kind of structure my working day between say eight, nine o'clock for work 
finish at about six where I'll do some sport and run um, or play football. I've got, I've got some time in, in my app, which I really, really enjoy. I think it's really important to, even though we, we do work a lot, I think it's important to have a community as well. And one thing I've really, really enjoyed about living in Vietnam is the community that we've built up over the last two years. We've got some great friends there and we've got some friends with similar interests. And I think it's nice to have a juxtaposition between the work in Vietnam and obviously the play side as well. So I really enjoy meeting up with them and we play football with me on the weekends. But then I would say that my evenings is, is, can be quite strange. Like I, I live with my girlfriend, we go out for, for great meals. Um, but then I, I can't help but pick up the, the, the phone or the laptop again around 9, 10 o'clock and do the stuff. Because we're obviously ahead of the UK time and ahead of the US time. I find it very difficult because there's things that happen. And it's almost like, in my mind, as Jamie says, I find it difficult to, to be able to put down the problems that you know, occur in the evenings. Like my mother works for us. I don't know if we, we didn't mention that in the previous in the podcast, but she works for us. So she's always sending messages. And she's saying, oh, no, this particular order, when does it need to be sent? What am I doing with this? And I can't ignore it. She it's sends me a lot of messages too. Oh, you can see yeah. where it comes from now. You know, like. <laughs> she sends me a lot of messages. Voice messages or written messages? Both. She yeah. sends long voice messages too. Yeah. <laughs> She it's, thinks I'm pretty handsome, I think. That's uh, she said that in she, the past, hasn't she? she? Yeah, she sent me a photo. She's, she's looking forward to having you come to, to stay. Oh, yeah, I'll be going to stay there. <laughs> Some home cooking. So, yeah, I mean, I, I do work a lot. I'm a bit of a workaholic. But I do, I, I think I balance it nicely. Like I'm, I'm, I always have a lot of energy. I do a lot of exercise and I'm happy with that routine. I do a lot of learning. I do a lot of courses. You give me courses as well, mainly in the evening. I tend to retain the information quite well at night time. Wow. Yeah, but I wouldn't say my, my routine is structured, has structured as Jamie's is now, so to speak. I just kind of try and fit it in a day. And I know that if I don't say, you know, look at, um, look at something, you know, or take a podcast or, or take a course, then I know that by not doing that for two or three days in a row, that there's something lacking for my life. So then I'll obviously make up for it. Yeah. You know, just cool thing about structuring, if you do write down the tasks that you have to do in the day or whatever, you can scroll back like three years ago. And oh, see wow. where you were, and it's really like quite really just a fun, with... nice, nice thing to do when you have those days where you're like, oh, I'm doing nothing with my life. But well, then if you, you know, if you look I'm back failing. To where we were a couple of months ago, back a couple of years ago, see, you can really see that our thought process behind the, what we wanted to do as a what, business. Yeah. What you were doing, and you're like, maybe it puts yeah. into perspective like that is such a simple task for me now. So it's very true. Have you been convinced you're going to be a list maker now? I've already started. <laughs> I've already started. Since it's no matter. Couple lists going. Get the list. Exciting. <laughs> I bet there was a lot of people at the Nomad Summit that have much better organisational <laughs> ideas than I do. There's so many organisations. They must the be really organised. Insane. Like it's, it's very difficult not to get anxious or a bit of anxiety when you hear these stories. I'm like, wow. Like the person does so much. Like, should I be doing this as well? You start yeah. to question like your own like beliefs and your own kind of daily actions. And, but, I think yeah. you can just trust that the person who you're looking at being like that person's so impressive is having the same exact thoughts and probably if they hear your story and it's just different strengths and <laughs> any any final uh, things that you want to no people? I'm pretty good I think we've uh, yeah we spoke about quick covered most quite a bit haven't we that's great yeah I mean, quite a bit quite a bit I really enjoyed it it's been really decent yeah like, <laughs> conversation it's been really great talking to you guys yeah talking brilliant. to you thanks so much yeah, for coming thanks on thanks so much for coming on yeah I really appreciate it <laughs> look Bye. forward to meeting your dog yeah, yeah. <laughs>